Welcome to the Talent of Fashion podcast, where we're passionate about sharing wisdom from across the industry and creating community. Hosted by our co-founders, Joe Roberts and Johnny Tucker. Let's just go ahead and kick this off. We have a wonderful time for you guys prepared today. And so Johnny's going to go ahead and introduce our exceptional guest speaker that we have and let you know more about her and what they'll be talking about today. Wonderful. Thank you, Jillian. And welcome to everybody. Welcome the familiar faces who are, are back joining us again. We thank you. Today, we have an exciting conversation lined up with someone who I've been trying to get to, to share uh, her story with Talent of Fashion all the way back when we were doing features on LinkedIn. So I'm especially excited that she has uh, opted to join us for the conversation today in the part two of digital. It's the, the look behind how to break into digital and in retail and how fashion uses digital and how, how it's a, just a, a just really pivotal aspect of where retail is um, heading. So um, without further ado, I'll, I'll introduce our guest speaker today, Dasha Petrova. She is head of digital at the Webster. That's how we were introduced. Uh, Talent of Fashion works with the Webster and the incredible team over there. And I had the pleasure of, of being connected with Dasha about, I'd say, at least a year ago or around that time. And just the conversations that we have and, and the insight that she gives me mm -hmm. um, while we're partnering with them has been extremely valuable uh, as someone who in the retail landscape has always been overseeing the field level and not really involved in the, in the digital space. I'm always asking a lot of questions and, and trying to pull back the curtains and um, trying to just learn. Uh, that's what I love to do is to learn. So she's given me a lot of valuable insight and uh, that's why we brought her onto the call to share. So I'll let her, her kick off here uh, with just a little bit of her background and then we'll dive into some questions that we have for her. Thank you so much. It's such an honor to be here and really thank you for inviting me. I'm so grateful. A little bit about me and uh, my background. I've had a bit of an unorthodox background. I was born in Russia. I came to the States when I was nine. You know, I, I studied at Emory and I have a degree in journalism and Russian literature. So nothing related to fashion. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I think that degrees are, are important, but not the end all be all. So I think it's, um, that's a very important point that I've been, you know, talking about ever since I, you know, was in the industry everyone really expects for me to have a, a you know a degree in fashion or um or some sort of a an mba and even though i've been considering it um i know that it's it's not absolutely necessary um so i started actually in um publishing and in marketing and pr i, I really have done <laughs> pretty much everything in my life um i did a little bit of uh, styling in um, in Atlanta when I was there at, uh, at Emory, and really prior to to um, my role in fashion, I was in the music industry uh, for a long time. And um, then I, you know, I fell in love with New York, and I moved, you know, basically taking a huge leap of faith. I had no no uh, job set up. I had nothing planned and. Actually, the, the day before my one-way flight, I had a, a huge job offer in Atlanta at an art publisher. 
and I, I declined because I knew New York was uh, where I was meant to be. And I took a huge, took a huge uh, leap of faith and landed in New York and started interviewing at, uh, at a few startups just through my network and, and my contacts. At that point, Uber was just kind of getting started and Warby Parker was getting started, started interviewing there. Um, and then somebody recommended uh, and introduced me to Mode Operandi. And um, I, I sent in my, my resume and I happened to be connected to one of their HR coordinators who at the time, I didn't know, but she had also gone to Emory. So it was, it was a wonderful connection and going, goes back to my point about really connections being key um, in whatever you pursue. So um, she asked to see me. I was offered the job the next day and I started the following Monday and that was three weeks after I moved to New York. So I think really the biggest takeaway from that is that when you follow your intuition and you follow your passion and, and you take calculated risks, calculated risks have been my, my, my life path basically. I, I highly recommend to really take as many leaps of faith as possible because it, it will lead you on the, on the right path. And I, um, you know, I started at Moda and I started in, um, in customer experience actually. But from the very beginning, they, they really hired me because I spoke Russian. Um, they gave me Russian clients from the very beginning and they didn't obviously have anybody that spoke another language. So I, um, I really started taking, taking care of clients from the very beginning. And I grew my business and I was there for seven years. Mm -hmm. And we can talk more about that you know, as, as the call goes on, but uh, just as a brief background, I was there for seven years. I grew into a senior stylist position and then I was recruited last year uh, by the CEO of the Webster and uh, to start their private client team and to focus on digital selling and uh, digital clienteling. Um, so I've been there ever since, working really closely with Laurent and really building that team and really thinking about how, how to grow um, organically. Yeah, and, and shout out to Laurent because he's, he's awesome and we've been blessed to sit down with him several times and um, he's actually the one who put us, connected us together and to start working incredible. with him. And, um, and just to his vision to come and grab someone like you. So um, yeah, I've always, always given him a, a, a word of encouragement on that. But yeah, so before we start to unpack some of the questions, <laughs> Jillian already gave you the heads up. I'm already like really like excited and revved up to, to kind of um, just get into those questions, but really quick. Um, so what I, what I want the, the audience to kind of hear who may have joined late or are, um, as you pass through it may have missed, but the eclectic background that you have and is so often the picture of someone's past in retail, right? Is someone who started out like wanted to do something that was really creative or in the arts or music and and then retail grabs a hold of them um what i think is cool about digital and what i what i what i have absorbed from just looking into to digital is uh, where retail used to be in store experiences and and, and working with designer um, labels and, and fabrications like 
design and retail, there is art to fashion, obviously. Um, but then there's a whole other art to like this digital side. And so it's so cool that all of this like past experiences that didn't quite align, just like compiled into kind of being this, like I'm, in many ways, and we'll get into this, I'm guessing you were a brilliant case study for Moda, like throughout your time there. Like you were probably one of the things that said, oh, hey, we have a business model here. Yes, yeah, so I think one of the biggest um, aspects that really, I think, helped me in, in getting started at Moda and being successful at Moda and, and being successful right now at the Webster is the ability uh, and the art of storytelling. And that really, I learned from my really random and unorthodox background from PR, marketing, uh, publishing, uh, and even in the music industry, you meet so many different people and from every different background um, who speak many different languages, who do a, a whole spectrum of different things. And in that, you really learn how to speak to different people in different contexts, what to say, when to say it, how to say it, how to phrase something, um, how to position something. And that I kind of learned from my, my, my experience in PR and marketing. And from my experience in publishing, it's really this art of storytelling. And storytelling is key in the fashion industry, as I'm sure everyone here knows. Um, it's really this aspect of, of the ability to connect to the end consumer or, or the client or um, whoever it may be that you're trying to reach. Um, it's really that story, that authentic story that will connect you and, and really and, and bring your concept or your um, you know, piece or your collection and connect you to the, the client. So I learned that that really uh, storytelling is key and authentic storytelling. You know, authenticity um, is probably my biggest takeaway from all of my experiences in the, in the last decade is when you approach everything from an authentic point of view, you will be successful. When you bring honesty and truth and vulnerability to who you are, you will absolutely um, get, you know, further ahead and um, and and conquer whatever it is that you've set out to do. Um, I've, I've really, that's been my biggest takeaway, and it's important because in in my time at Moda, when I uh, was the most honest with clients, is when I was the most successful in, in my time there. You know, um, because you really build relationships, and relationships are key. In this industry. Dasha, a uh, question for you. A lot of our listeners may not know, you know, I've seen it sometimes and I thought, man, I need to change careers. Uh, you think about like some of these incredible sales specialists or these just sellers, they're really dynamic. You know, I've heard of one guy at Giorgio Armani who makes a million dollars a year selling suits. Uh, mm -hmm. He's out of New York City, he's been there for, for decades. The mm -hmm. sheer potential to make money and sell. I think is unreal for a lot of people when they see it. I saw it at Fear. There was many people making over $100,000 selling product. And they had this ability to storytell. Can you tell me what storytelling is? Can you boil down storytelling for everybody listening? What it means to you and how it connects and hits to your client? Yes. So I'll, I'll do my best. So I think there's 
two factors to storytelling. One is the storytelling of uh, the background of, of what you're trying to position to a client. And I don't want to use the word sell. I'm very cautious of that because I don't have necessarily a sales background. And I would encourage everyone who is currently in sales to not think about it as being a salesperson. Uh, wow. Because at the end of the day... Yeah, we should let everyone digest that. Can you explain further, Dasha? <laughs> so, I think because... At the end of the day, the most important thing is relationship building. You're not there to sell. Mm -hmm. you're, you're, that is the, the, the end result, and it's a byproduct of what you do day to day. And if sales come on their own if you approach you, what you do on a day to day basis from an authentic point of view. And I know I will say that so many times it's going to probably get annoying, but it's been the, the, the backbone of my success, I think, is authenticity and really, really being honest with, with whoever it is that you're talking to, clients, potential contacts, your network, you know, business partners, whoever it may be. I've really learned that it's, it's the key to success. So, um, so not thinking of yourself as a salesperson, but really just focusing on how do you build relationships? and thinking of yourself as, a, as more of a curator or um, a builder of, of connections or you know, a client manager basically, like managing your own clients. Because at the end of the day, if you're, if you're employed by, by a retailer or e-commerce e site you, and, and you're in a sales role, right? That's like the, the, you know, the, the common way of looking at it as a sales team, but I try not to look at it and I don't, um, I don't refer to my team as such. And I want them to think of themselves as entrepreneurs and as their own business leaders. When you have your own book of clients, you are your own business owner. You have a business within a business. And it's important to elevate that position so that they have uh, that responsibility over their own book and over what they can do with their own book so that they don't think of themselves as just stuck in a place so that they have full authority over what they can do with their business and where they can lead their career. Yeah. That's really important. Um, but going back to storytelling, I think it's important to really present what it is that you're, um, that you're trying to, to communicate to a client, whether it's a product or a collection or a business proposition or an idea from uh, a, again, a point of connection. So you have to find that that aspect that connects your idea or your product to the end client or consumer, whatever that connection is. And oftentimes that storytelling is the second aspect of storytelling, which I was mentioning earlier, which is who you are as a person and what your connection is to the product. Meaning if I'm trying to connect a client to a collection that I like. Yes, technically I'm selling the collection, but I try not to think about of it that way. I try to find a way that what is the what is my connection to this and what is the client's connection to this in an authentic point of view. So if the designer is from Morocco, for instance, I will do my best to connect that point across so that it's a it's an honest connection and I'm not just trying to sell a shirt or a ring or whatever it may be but it's the the 
interesting background that will ultimately connect all of us together and that that fusion is important you know right. for anything in business yeah dasha sometimes it takes a while in the traditional sales model we can find out what the other word is for that but it takes a while for that volume to build up to see this level of success right a lot of times we're working on a tiered commission structure and i would say most of the people never get to see the fruit of building such a great business and seeing that commission and understanding that they can build a life around it a lot of people never hit that curve what were some of the early wins for you maybe it was you were hitting such a high volume or you were clipping at such a high rate but if it wasn't what were so some of those early wins for you that really kind of highlighted wow i'm really gifted at this like i have an ability to make a lot of money build a life can you give us those early kind of dashboard signs that kind of insinuated that for you? Sure. So I, since I spoke Russian from the beginning, as I mentioned, they gave me Russian clients to take over and handle and manage. So for me, from the very beginning, I recognized that speaking another language is really, really crucial in this industry and really in every industry in, in, in any business. Um, and I actually want to learn more. I've, you know, been studying Italian and French and um, really actually randomly want to learn Arabic as well. Um, but I would really recommend for anybody that doesn't to, to learn uh, another language. It's really helpful. Um, well, I think it's, it's also that commonality. So even when you were saying and like finding that connecting point, that's a massive connecting point, right? Yeah. Absolutely. When, when somebody recognizes this language, and it's, it's a rather, I think, random language, but it's not like Spanish, right? So, um, which is very common, but especially for, for a Russian consumer, seeing Russian, because I, I, I not only speak, but also write and read. So I, I, I wrote to them in Cyrillic. And so when a consumer sees that on their end, very few, very, very, um, few and far in between are Russian consumers really seeing Cyrillic as a, as a point of contact between them and another brand. Um, most brands are not able to really um, to do that. So when they see that, they automatically connect to you and they automatically trust you because there's a, that understanding of, okay, she understands my culture. She understands my background. I mean, obviously she can speak the language and it's that commonality that really, when I started seeing those responses come in and that immediate connection to a client that is authentic, um, I, I was drawn in immediately because it was, it, it brought success from the very beginning. And the more authentic I was, the more successful the business grew and the, the, the more responses I would get from clients. And when clients would say, oh, what do you think of this? And I told them, honestly, you know, I don't think this is the best item for you. I don't think this is the best thing for you, but we can find something better. Um, in, in Russian, you know, that is really, I mean, those became my clients and now are my friends, you know, after decades, they, they become my friends really. Um, I think it's, and, and I see this often with um, top performers on the team and just across the industries, you start to really build those connections. And if you are able to, um, really be authentic about your approach they become your friends and they'll you know then you travel with them and they invite you to different experiences and you learn 
you know, about their family and you meet their kids and it becomes a very different relationship so that they be, you become a confidant. And that's really, I think the goal is to at least have your top 10 clients in your book um, be, be your friends and, and really be authentic and, and honest with them. Yeah, no, that's, that's, a, that's a, a, a sign of, of when I was managing businesses, of when I would walk into a business and I, I would watch one of my salespeople walk out the door with a client, walk them to their car and the whole way it's, it's genuine, it's organic, or walk out and, with no product and go to lunch. I was like, all right, we're doing something right in this business. <laughs> I, can, like, I can have fun in this store today because I know that we have the right like, mentality going on here. Maybe peel back some operations, but that's for another call. One thing I want to go back to that we picked up on, and we are chipping away at the questions <laughs> that we asked, but one thing that I picked up on is the business proposition, you said. And I love our conversations often, like the last like third of our conversations always tail off into like the entrepreneur side of things. So of course I'm digging this one out too. Is the business proposition that you're mentioning like when, cause even, you know, seven years ago, like trunk shows in store were big, but trunk shows at people's homes weren't necessarily. And it was a, it was, you know, there's going to always be an evolution to everything. Like the evolution to retail was then digital. And now there's going to be an evolution to digital. And when digital was kicking off, there was, there was a, what I'm guessing that proposition was, is you want to be the woman who throw, hosts a Moda party or hosts a Moda event or be tied to a Moda, like, like something, some kind of a Moda event, exclusive, yeah. Ex like creating exclusivity around your name so that your girlfriends kind of join mm -hmm. or want to, you know, ex like that kind of exposure. Is that what you meant kind of when you're thinking of like what you, you said, I think you named uh, when you were talking about angles, there was the connection um, point, and then you were saying uh, one of them was the business proposition. Was that kind of where you were coming at from that point? Or? I was just mostly talking about if you're, if you're not in necessarily a retail aspect or you're not in the sales team, just like if you're in any type of business, I think it, it applies what, you know, authenticity applies to absolutely every aspect of the, of the field and of the industry. So I think what I'm, what I meant was if you're proposing a business plan or an idea or something, uh, you know, entrepreneurial, not necessarily to a client, but just okay. in general, um, it, it's storytelling and authenticity are still key, regardless of what the end result you want to be. Yeah. yeah. And you see that. But, but it's interesting. I mean, we can touch upon the, the trunk show and, and the, the style suite aspect because we obviously did a, a lot of that at Moda and it speaks to the evolution and, and kind of the way that um, digital works with in-person, obviously right now um, during COVID, uh, obviously no one's doing any events or any in-person um, gatherings, but before obviously it was important to uh, really harness your top, you know, your, your top clients become your ambassadors, not only for you as a, as a stylist, but for your company. And, that's really the ultimate. You want your, your clients or whoever is in your network to become your ambassador and your champion. Um, and when you do that, you, you're, you're so much more successful and they'll do the selling for you. You don't have to sell anything um, because it, it's not even sales at that point. It's just um, authentic, you know, discussion and conversation. So we would do a lot of those at, at 
you know, private homes and, uh, you know, hotel suites all across the world. Um, and it's something that I obviously want to bring on board to the Webster. Um, we haven't had a chance yet. Um, and then COVID happened. So <clears throat> I definitely want to see that to fruition in the future because yeah. it's a really great way. Because I really do believe that uh, it's really the combination between digital and in-person um, and, and the human touch that will be, you know, the key, obviously. It's not one or the other. It has to be both. Yeah. And, um, you know, data and uh, AI and, um, and, and digital and uh, all of those aspects, they play a role, but human touch is always is is always going to be needed because then um, you know the stylist or whoever's you know talking to you is going to be able to read that data uh, and um, adjust it as needed, you know, and and use it as needed to really uh, curate whatever it is that they're presenting. So it's gotcha. the combination of both. Dasha, if we're if we're jumping into a digital styling business, if I'm going from retail or if I have a merchandising background or non-traditional digital, whatever traditional means these days, but if I'm jumping into digital, what's the first thing you suggest I tackle? I've never been in digital business. I can I can probably be really dangerous in converting a client once they walk into the store. Maybe I don't know about growth or client acquisition or activation. But what are you telling me if I want to jump into your world? What do I need to tackle first? Is it a mindset? Is it, could you explain that process? Sure. You know, interestingly enough, what I've learned over the last few years is that the, one of the most important things that, especially in the beginning, that you need to tackle is organization. I know that's really, um, that may be odd to say, but I've seen uh, this. Oh, I, I'm out of here. I can't. <laughs> It's like, it's like so pretty much Joe and I need to stick I, I, to what yeah, we're doing. Please. I need to stay put. Talk to us. You know, it's, it's odd to say because obviously we're in a creative industry and, you know, of course you have to, you know, be excellent at storytelling and, and communication and all of this. But from the very beginning, when you're approaching your business and you're starting out and trying to scale, you have to be organized. Um, the organization is key. So you have to sit and really put together, okay, you have to have this whole, I even, I started at Moda with a Google Doc, right? Um, of all my clients, I had tabs for everything. You know, everything was organized by uh, region, by uh, category, by designer, by size. Everything was organized so that I knew, you know, everything top to bottom about my clients. And I, from the very beginning could organize them in, in, in this way. Um, it's really key so that when you start to outreach and obviously, you know, you have to have their address and, and everything and all these notes and you have to put in, you know, their birthdays and their every, everything about them that you possibly can so that you, you stay organized and then you have calendar alerts for their birthdays, you know, just. So you, data, is, data is probably, uh, if I'm jumping from retail or if I'm jumping into this digital data is my pivot point for everything. Because your client book is your, is your bread and butter. Your client book is your business. And that has to be, you, you have to know it top to bottom. And I see this often that 
uh, stylists don't always have a, an amazing handle on their client books. They, they don't, I, I'll st I, I kind of will test some stylists every once in a while and their clients, you know, who's this person? Tell me about her. You know, let's go down the list. I want to hear, I'd love to hear, you know, everything about this person that you, that you know, or they can tell me often they're not able to, and that's going to be a weakness because you have to know where they're from, where they're located, what their top three brands are, their size, where, you know, where they travel back when we used to kind of travel often, but um, you know, all these aspects and these, these, these points you, you have to, from top to bottom, know your clients. When, when we talk about acquisition, right? At a store level, I'm sure, you know, we got Ron here, so he could, he could do a yes or a no, but I'm sure we're talking about growth at a store level. We're talking about acquiring a client. And oftentimes at a store level, it used to be where you, you know, if you operate at a 20% conversion at a store, that was a healthy conversion for kind of the contemporary space. I can convert 20% of my uh, footsteps. footsteps into a transaction. But when you're digital, it seems like really tough to, uh, I guess, prospect a new client. I'm sure maybe the business is giving you potential leads. Maybe there's a warm lead of somebody who's transacted in a store and we think, gosh, you can run with this. But the prospecting of new growth, that seems kind of like a big gap. How do you, how do you even prospect when you're a digital stylist? Well, so it depends on the, the e-tailer. Um, and on their volume uh, of orders coming in from the website. So obviously the, the biggest funnel that you have in e-commerce is obviously from the website. So, and that really depends on your inventory levels and on the size of your business. So if you have a lot of SKUs and you have a lot of inventory, then obviously, you know, say you're a far-fetched, obviously your order volume is going to be high, obviously, uh, you're going to have a lot of potential prospects. Um, and you really have to find a way to um, suss out who's worth your time and who's not. Uh, who do you reach out to and who don't? And that's really both a, a science and an art. And in my time at Moda, we would try different methods of figuring out who's worth your time and who's not. Ultimately, you you have to find a balance between a you have to know uh the industry very well you have to know um what's going on in the world obviously you have to be cultured you have to you know you you have to know some of these names that pop up uh, automatically you have to be able to kind of recognize um who is who and and know that okay um from the top of my head obviously if i see from the last weeks orders okay i recognize these few names they absolutely have to be outreached and even if they don't buy at a high level they're major potential right. so you have to continue outreaching to them um that just comes from being in an industry or just knowing you know um higher level who's who's worth your time and not but then you know obviously you can go off of aob um that, Gosh, ne that doesn't necessarily always work because they might return all of it or what do you see as the potential of a client that's coming to e-com or coming to a store? What's the potential increase in spend or return? Like a, a, a few of my brands, if they came three times a year, that was great. Um, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't excellent, but that was just the expectation of an average consumer. 
Uh, what is it for, what's the potential of maximizing once they get in union with a digital stylist in this relationship with you? Well, so um, it's a little bit different at the Webster. I'm trying to find the best way to answer that. So at the Webster, within retail, the clients stay within retail, right? So there's retail stylists and then I have the private client team who I only really hire, and we can get into this later, but I only really hire um, stylists with e-commerce experience. It would be great if they had both retail and e-commerce, but but they have to have e-commerce experience. Um, I, I just have found and I've seen over the years that Moda just doesn't work if they don't. Um, and so at Moda though, we, we only had obviously private client. There was no physical stores. We only had two showrooms so uh, to help to host private appointments. So everybody that was funneling in through e-commerce orders, um, you know, we did see an increase when they started, when we started to assign them to a stylist, uh, their spend would increase threefold. Wow. Mm. Uh, within six to 12 months. So, um, and their AOV as well increased threefold. So it's really important, obviously, that uh, personal connection and, and when you start to be to to be managed uh, properly uh, by somebody uh, at a brand, I really think of that person as a liaison. Really, like you are a liaison between the client and the company. Um, you're not trying to sell them anything or sell them on anything. You're, right. You're both an ambassador and a liaison and a client manager. There are a lot of different ways to look at it, but the spend yeah. does increase once you start to work with somebody at a company. Uh, that's a great segue. It, it's the conversation is is flowing. And, um, I mean, we're I always get like so caught off guard because it's already uh, 40 minutes in, which is awesome. But I'd love to move over towards more of the management side. And this is a good segue because now that you're overseeing a team and you're building kind of the foundation for the Webster on the digital side, is it when you're, are you hiring for certain personality gaps or certain, like, do you have clients that you must, and you don't have to define the clients because you don't have to give away the Webster's secret sauce or anything, but like, do you have client like personalities or client profiles kind of mm -hmm. established that then you hire your that, that shop online that then you hire to make sure you have a personality um that suits that type of client because uh, i know you have a team that's like across the u.s when you could simply just have a team in just new york or just miami or you know but i'm guessing because regionally personalities differ and you want to be able to have people who are relatable like you said that same connection so if i'm like uh, uh someone who's affluent in dallas and you're trying to sell me in New York, well, we already don't have one connection, which is even just regionally, right? Like you don't know what's going on in Dallas, what events I'm attending, where I, you know, what I'm experiencing socially, if you're in New York. I'm guessing that's part of it, but then are you also hiring to fill the, like uh, client personality needs? Is that mm -hmm. something you look at? It's definitely always something to consider. And of course we assign clients based on region and personality. I think when I first start to look for talent, it's the most important is, is their background and, and how they, they approach clienteling. Um, I look for authenticity. I know it's 
my yeah. big word. <laughs> we know that's my big word. It's <laughs> genuine. I, I just, I really, I'm trying to curate a genuine team who's authentic and honest and treats their clients with the utmost um, uh, respect and and who doesn't, who's not just trying to sell them on something just to, to make their numbers. I look for, for people who genuinely um, love what they do and, and love people and who of course are organized as if that's really important for, for um, digital selling. But at the end of the day, it's mostly about your experience, both in retail, hopefully in retail and in e-commerce, but it has, there has to be experience in e-commerce. Um, and really from that first conversation, it's, it's gauging um, their level of authenticity and, and really being genuine and in the moment and present. And, um, and are you, are you, are you, or is there a way like, like in terms of on e-commerce able to take that data obviously i'm sure there's certain people who have affinity for a certain designer or brand and so that's a, another like we're going back to that kind of theme of connection points if i'm extremely passionate about x y or z brand and someone just bought five thousand dollars worth of that product it'd probably be a good fit for me to be assigned that person yes but absolutely. is there any intake that's you know identifying language um but you're matching people up like you said like russian clients obviously we can look at like last names and, and try to like define but there's going to be sometimes that that doesn't work or doesn't line up um are you filling those gaps on your team like is there language gaps that you need to fill or you'd like to fill is that something you look at too of course so we we actually have a lot of um different languages that are spoken on the team which is which is great and something that i look forward to regardless of what language you speak, speaking another language, it inherently means that um, you're, at least that from my experience and what I found is that there, it's just leads to more openness and an easier understanding of international clients. And even domestically, there's just a lot more interesting conversations that happen um, when you have somebody that understands a couple of different cultures. Um, it just leads to, to a dynamic interaction more, more so than not. Um, so we try to, I mean, I try my best to, um, to hire obviously based on location and region and the language they speak and filling in those gaps. But, but really because the team is so small, everything is based on, are you a good person? You know, at the end of the day, I mean, is this somebody that we all want to work with? I mean, for me, the biggest takeaway for me from, from being in business for ever since I started is for me, business is all about, do you actually want to do, to, to do business with this person? And, and this is based off of, how you feel about this person is, is, are they nice? Honestly, at the end of the day, um, do they make you feel comfortable, you know, and are they, are they honest? Are they, um, trustworthy? And are they authentic? I think is where you're going yeah, with this, so, right? 
Sorry. Are they authentic is where you're going with it, right? Yes, I mean, it, it's just, do you want to, on the day-to-day, yeah. work with this person? And, and that's really key. And because we have a small team and it's really important to have the right culture and the, the right fit for a team that this that it's this small. Yeah. Um, because I really want to build a team that that support each other and build each other up and who are not fighting with each other for clients and who are not trying to steal each other's clients and really build um, a positive team. And, and um, it, it's really difficult in this industry because obviously that, that happens often. Like when I, when I sit down, if I, it doesn't matter if you're a head of stores, it doesn't matter if you're a buyer, planner, merchant, pattern maker, tech designer, janitor. Yeah. Honestly, the one thing I look at within 15 minutes is what I want to spend time with this person. Would the company want to spend time with this person? And can this person pull me along and whatever that they do, can they pull me along? There's nothing worse than walking into a store and within 30 seconds, you're like, I need to get out. I need to get out of here really quick. And you feel that sometimes walking in stores. Exactly. I'm sure you energy, know. energy is, is everything. You know, how you, how somebody makes you feel, you will always remember. You yeah. will always remember and you will always take that away. And you will remember, you know, oh, this person at this company spoke to me in this way. And I remember that because you remember how that made you feel. Yeah. And, uh, we got a fan and Todd Bruton just, I think his name's last name is Bruton. Uh, he, he congratulated you on Well Said. You answered one of her questions. Dasha, okay. sorry to cut you off. We've got a few quick questions that we want Jillian to get to. We've got about 10 minutes left. Um, but um, before we get there, Dasha, what keeps you motivated? Uh, obviously, it's tougher than it's ever been in the last probably 15, 20 years. What keeps you motivated? What keeps you ambitious? What keeps you joyful? And then Jillian's going to get into some of the questions from our guests. But tackle that one real quickly for us. So, honestly, um, I and I have to give a major, um, you know, shout out to Laurent. Um, but it, it's support is what keeps me going, and his support is um, really unprecedented in this industry. I've never seen a leader care um as much as he does and at any company that i've ever been in for a ceo to truly know the ins and outs of your team who's on it who's who um the level of trust that he gives me the support that he gives me it's it's really unorthodox and unprecedented to to have a ceo care this much and really that's what keeps me going and it's really important to work somewhere where you are aligned with whoever is is your leader ultimately yes of course your manager your direct manager but also the ceo because i worked for a long time you know for other companies where sometimes we were not aligned on that on that vision and um it's hard it's hard to keep going day in and day out and be somewhere where you you know you're either not appreciated or you have a completely different mindset from the CEO and the leader. And that's important. It's really important to be somewhere where those align, because at least at the end of the day, you feel like, okay, 
I, I'm somewhere where, yes, everything is difficult. Yes, you know, the context is, is extremely, um, you know, challenging, but at least I, I, I care about this leader and he cares about me and uh, we are trying to build something together here and we align on that. And that's, that keeps me going. You believe in what you're fighting for, right? You believe, it, like, he's good at that, at establishing that. Mm -hmm. um, one last question I had before I pick it up, Emilian, that's kind of, like, like derailed from our, our outline. But um, is there any tools, without giving away any, like, tips or tricks, uh, but even just from a social media presence, that's going to help me break into digital yeah. or going to help, it, like, you know, your, that helps your digital team perform, whether it be Instagram. There are a lot of different tools out there, actually, um, from a digital selling perspective. Um, one that I onboarded immediately when I started is called Seer. Uh, and um, it just, it allows you to send beautiful edits and, and product in an elevated way to all of your clients. And um, it's, it's an incredible tool. Photos when she wants to buy stuff. Sorry. Me. So I think my wife uses that app. I remember seeing that app. I think my wife uses it to send me pictures of stuff she wants to buy, so she can convince me that she that, that I should let her buy it. <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe a different one, but that's really funny. <laughs> Together, beautifully sends them to me, and she's like, "Can I get this?" I'm like, "That's actually really nice. I could see you wearing that." Yeah. So um, I think I think this is a different a different tool, but <laughs> but yes, they they're working on an app. Uh, it's it's uh, for desktop because you it's it's obviously a lot easier to um, to create edits on a on a laptop. Um, but they're beautiful and um, really they're able to be personalized on a group level. So they send um, you know it, there's an algorithm where they they change the first name to whatever, whoever client you're sending it to. So if you have a group of clients and you have, maybe they're um, all Dior clients and you just have, uh, you know, new arrivals from Dior that, that have come in and you can send one grouped email to all of your Dior clients and they'll say, um, you know, dear Marissa or dear Patty or whoever it is. Um, so you can really maximize your time and scale your business and really um, it's not about sending huge mass marketing emails. This is not about that. But if you want to scale to a five, $6 million book, um, you know, I had a $6 million book at Moda and the way that I got there is you, you have to automize uh, and automate your outreach um, so that clients come to you. You know, so you're not, you're not running after clients all the time and trying to force anybody to buy anything. At the end of the day, you just have to stay present and consistent and really the way to build a, a digital business, you know, it takes time. Um, so it's just consistent outreach so that they see your name in their email box day after day, week after week. They trust you. They know that you're not going anywhere. Um, they, they know that they can rely on you to be the liaison between them and this company. And it's really the key to build trust digitally. If you're not present with a client, you have to be able to consistently outreach to them in, with beautiful, relatable, targeted content day after day after day. I mean, not, I'm not saying blast them every single day, but I'm just saying, you know, if they have, it has to be consistent mm -hmm. and relevant and beautiful. So they're 
the tool that we use at, at the Webster is called Seer, and, and it's this beautiful tool that allows us to scale our business with personalized, uh, beautiful content, um, creating collages, like these beautiful emails um, that are able to be sent on a regular basis to clients. And there are other tools as well uh, for if you're more on the go, there's a tool that we use called Appreciate. They have an app. Um, it basically allows you to search all of your clients and, and search by brand and uh, by spend. And it's really good for, for um, stylists who are in the, you know, on, the, on the floor who don't have time to sit in front of a laptop, obviously, but they still want all of the data at their fingertips. Um, there's, we've, I mean, Laurent and I have been looking at different tools for the last year of me being here, but um, there's a tool called Hero that's really interesting, and they're, they're building a lot of different um, uh, modules and integrations. Um, for my team specifically, Looker is really important because going back to data and organization, Looker is key. For for the data and, and uh, keeping everything organized. So great. All right. Um, so I, that was kind of us wrapping up with you. We're going to pass it back off to Jillian to, mm -hmm. to close out for us and ask maybe one or two of the guest uh, questions. But again, such a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much. I've, I like I said, been trying to wrangle you for for some time now. But thanks for finally joining us. Thank you so much. Thank you. Natasha, could you spell out the um, SEER platform that you use? We had someone ask um, how they can find that. It's S-E-E-R. Perfect. Thank you. And one last question for you. We had someone um, curious about what elements of the in-store experience do you see possibly fading out in the near future? So it would be great to get your insight and, and input in that question. Interesting. I think it's obviously quite difficult to answer that given the current context. Um, I think a lot of things are going to change both digitally and in store uh, post and during COVID. Um, I, I really don't think that COVID is something that's going away. So I don't think of it as post COVID. I think that is just something that is a new reality that you have to um, adapt to and really change the way that you behave with clients coming in. Um, before, I think that we were really trying to, um, you know, host as many in-store uh, activations as possible and also um, coincide that with uh, in-person, uh, you know, um, style suites as well. But obviously right now that's not possible. So I think ultimately at the, at the end of the day, I think the, the, in, the interaction is going to need to change obviously, um, not even from a regulations point of view, but in, in the way that uh, clients and, uh, and store associates interact with each other obviously has to change um, and will change. And I think uh, the biggest uh, way in which I would love to see a change is, is again, um, to become more meaningful and, and really, um, uh, honest, you know, in not just trying to sell you something just to sell it to you. You know, when somebody comes into a store, they're usually bombarded um, with, you know, sentences like, this looks great and this would be perfect for you. And I see it happening still all the time. And even, you know, before COVID, when everything was still open, um, we thought that all of that kind of ended in, in that era of faux, you know, or that sales 
salesy behavior just kind of stopped, but it didn't, you know, I think it's still, um, I see it, um, you know, I still see it all the time, not uh, necessarily for Webster, um, but just in general. And I think that uh, moving forward, we'll definitely have to increase our, um, our training in terms of, you know, really how do you approach clients from an authentic point of view? You know, how do you build actual meaningful bonds with anyone who goes into a store? Because right now, obviously, clients are going in less and less. So how do you really maximize on that interaction? Because it's going to be a lot fewer and further in between, and they're going to be a lot shorter um, as well. So um, how do you, you know, how do you create authentic bonds with somebody in the current context? I think um, in a lot of ways, there'll have to be a digital component to it as well, um, connecting you somehow to that associate through an app um, or, you know, obviously everything goes back to a 360 digital omni-channel experience where they're connected to the company uh, through different channels that all work together um, and support each other in, in connecting the client to, to the brand. So it's retail working alongside uh, e-commerce, working alongside private client. Um, so what tools can we all use to integrate all three together, which is what Lauren and I are working on. Yeah. Well, Dasha, we can't say thank you enough. I mean, this has been such an excellent conversation with you. Thank you all again for joining us. And we hope that you have a wonderful rest of your day and that you'll join us next month for our next Talent of Fashion at Home. Thanks for tuning in to the Talent of Fashion Sessions podcast. We hope you enjoyed our conversation and that you'll subscribe. Please go ahead and share it with friends in the industry and make sure to follow us on LinkedIn. We also have an app where you can stay up to date with open positions and other trends in the industry. Go ahead to the app store and download it now as Talent of Fashion app. We thank you and we look forward to having you join future episodes.